Welcome to another special interlude episode of the Modern Lady Podcast. We are pleased to once again present this occasional feature, an homage to moments and stories of remarkable women throughout history to today. It's a mid-season break, a pause in the busyness of our days. Let this be a little bit of a respite for your soul as you take in the stories of the feminine genius in all of its varied and unique forms. So cozy up and hygge down, grab your mug and fill it with mulled wine, rich cocoa, or soothing tea. Sink into your couch just for a moment and join us for a tale. The Modern Lady Podcast now proudly presents Her Story, Chapter 2, The Dream of a Daring Woman. On Good Friday, April 17, 1620, in the province of Champagne, France, a baby girl was born. She was the sixth child out of twelve. Even though she lost her parents at a relatively early age, this young woman was solidly formed by her religious, middle-class upbringing. When she was twenty, she had a mystical experience that inspired within her an overwhelming desire to work in the service of God. This led her to become a member of an association of young girls who devoted themselves to the education of poor children. While engaged in this work, she continued to discern her vocation and felt a strong pull towards missionary work. Feeling called to religious life, but not wanting to be cloistered, this woman entered the external congregation of Troyes, Troyes being the town she lived in in France. At this time, there were only two options for women seeking religious life. The first option being the taking of solemn vows and entering into the cloistered life of a religious order, and the term nun is reserved, according to canon law, for these women. Or women could take simple vows versus solemn vows and enter into an external congregation which would allow them to work in the outside world, and these women would be simply known as sisters. This desire to serve the will of God, to live a religious life, but to not be cloistered would become a major theme in her life. In 1652, at the age of 32, this woman met the man who would end up changing the entire course of her life. Paul de Chaumidet, the governor of the New France settlement of Ville-Marie, was back in Troyes, France, visiting his sister, and while there, his sister directed him to this group of women that were educating the children of the town. See, Paul de Chaumidet wasn't just in town to visit his sister. He was also looking for a young, brave French woman who could accompany him back across the ocean to New France to help instruct the women and children there in the new settlement. This young woman seemed to fit the bill for Duchomide, and this opportunity also seemed like the answer of prayer for this woman because she had been looking for the chance to reach even more young women in need of an education. This also gave her the chance to go on a missionary adventure. Taking it to prayer, she was assured in prayer by Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin herself, when Our Lady said, Go, I will not forsake you. So in February of 1653, our young woman set sail on the Saint-Nicolas from France with 100 other colonists, mostly men, to see the New World. 
It is said that her very presence on board the St. Nicholas was a moral lesson for all on board with her, that her fellow passengers were so changed that, quote, they were changed like clothes that were put in the wash. Arriving in Quebec City, she was offered accommodations with the Ursuline nuns, which she declined so that she could live amongst the poor settlers while she waited for her transportation to be arranged to Ville-Marie. Upon arriving in Ville-Marie, she was saddened to discover that there were no children in this small settlement due to the extraordinarily high infant mortality rate. This didn't stop her from getting right to work, though, ingratiating herself into the French and native communities there. Unsurprisingly, as with many of the new settlements in New France, the relationship with the indigenous people was often strained, and because she wasn't occupied in those first eight years, having no children to teach, she set out to build not only new buildings in the settlement, but also new relationships within the community, acting as a type of social worker, seeking to meet the needs of everyone that she came in contact with, and this quickly gained her the nickname, Mother of the Colony. In 1658, Five years after her arrival, she was granted land and the building deeds to a stone building 36 feet long and 18 wide, in which she could finally teach her first pupils. Knowing that children would one day be born in the community, she first endeavored to teach three other young women who then could be ready to teach children when the colony finally started to grow. And grow it did, thanks to the Fille du Roi, the Daughters of the King, who were the 768 women, mostly orphans, who were sent to New France under the direction of King Louis XIV in order to marry the male settlers and soldiers already in the New World and to help populate the new settlements. It is said that millions of our current-day Quebecers can trace their ancestry back to these Fille du Roi. Before the Daughters of the King arrived, though, the subject of this story did need to find and train a few women who would be ready for when the babies were born. And so, in 1658, she returned to France and brought back to Ville-Marie with her three worthy middle-class girls and, I quote, a sturdy wench for the heavy jobs. This woman understood the importance of the home, the role of the wife and mother, and her desire to educate the masses wasn't solely focused on children. She believed that all women should be educated, and especially taught skills that could help women earn an income. And this is why she stood on the shore and welcomed the Fille du Roi herself as these young women stepped off the boat and practically into the arms of the men waiting for them, men that they had never met before. One cannot imagine how scared these young women must have been. But Our Lady, the one that we're talking about today, also took great care in being part of the selection of the men who would marry these young orphan girls, doing her absolute best to make good matches in order to provide these daughters of the king with the best possible start to a very uncertain life. Along with the three women that she brought back from France, this team of four teachers didn't just form a school system, they established a social services network that extended throughout all of New France. This was all part of her original mission to work with the people, to be a religious sister, but not a nun confined to an abbey. She saw this as the vie voyageur and was inspired by the public life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She said, quote, 
The Holy Virgin was not cloistered, but she everywhere preserved an internal solitude, and she never refused to be where charity or necessity required help. Her fellow sisters went on horseback, on foot, and by canoe to teach the catechism in every dwelling that they could along the shores of the St. Lawrence River. This idea of living a religious life out in the open was revolutionary at that time and wasn't exactly welcomed by Francois de Lavelle, the apostolic vicar of New France. While he did give her and her fellow sisters permission to teach all over Ville-Marie, he did try to draft up a rule of life for them, which would have forced them into a life of enclosure, which would have extremely limited their ability to teach as many young girls as they desired to reach. Not wanting to have this type of enclosure forced upon her mission, she returned to France, but this time she had only one thing on her mind. In 1670, she arrived in Paris with no clothing, no money, and only one letter of introduction. This was an astonishing journey for this bold 50-year-old woman. Her goal was to speak with the king himself, King Louis XIV, the infamous Sun King of the Palace of Versailles, in order to receive a letters patent, which is a legal document from a king or other official granting rights to an individual or corporation, giving legal status and rights in order to protect the work of said individual or corporation. And she wanted the king himself to protect her mission. Armed only with a letter, that defined her service to New France as, quote, this kind of congregation formed to teach children not only reading and writing, but simple handiwork. And we can see in an additional note written in the margins of this letter that reads, this institution must be actively encouraged. So she did indeed gain an audience with the king and so swayed his heart that he wrote, quote, not only has she performed the office of schoolmistress by giving free instruction to the young girls in all the occupations that make them capable of earning their livelihood, but far from being a liability to the country, she has built permanent buildings, cleared land concessions, set up a farm, and so on and so on. And so in May of 1671, King Louis XIV granted her his letters patent thus creating a civil charter for her congregation of, quote, secular sisters. Following her return from France, she, along with three of her nieces that she brought back with her, entered into what was to become known then as the golden age of her work in New France. This great expansion started in 1672 and went on for over a decade, seeing schools founded in St. Charles, Lachine, Pointe-à-Trembe, Bassacan, and Champlain. With a special love for small native girls, she founded a school just for them in their own village, an Iroquois village in La Montagne. Her sisters taught these young girls in cabins made of bark and then later in the towers of a fort made at the turn of the century. These towers can still be seen today. During this great expansion, she returned to France, hoping to recruit more members for her community. But the then bishop, Bishop Lavelle, forbid her from bringing more women back from France as new recruits. Obedient to her bishop, she returned to New France. And when she returned, her influence and good name spread quickly, inspiring local women then to join her cause. And her congregation of sisters grew significantly. 
In the 1680s, there was a new bishop, Bishop Jean-Baptiste de la Croix de Saint-Vallier, and he was impressed with the vocational schools that she had founded in Ville-Marie, and asked that she return to Quebec City, the place where she first landed in the New World, in order to set up a similar institution there, as the community was growing quickly. Later on in 1692, numerous sisters from the congregation opened a school that catered to the poor families on the Ile d'Orline. Three years later, at the age of 63, she intended to resign her position and elect a new superior for her congregation. Sadly, there was a fire that destroyed the mother house, and both of the candidates that were up for election perished in the fire. She resumed her office as superior and continued working hard. So hard, in fact, that at the age of 69, she walked from Montreal, the city formerly referred to as Ville-Marie, to Quebec City. And in case you're wondering, that walk would take roughly 55 hours. Once there, she opened more schools, and she sent two of her sisters to work, caring for the elderly, at the new hospital there, founded by the bishop in 1689. In 1693, at the age of 73, her resignation was finally accepted in Montreal. Deciding not just to relax and enjoy the peace that she must have felt after working so hard and for so many years, she joined back in the efforts to keep her community a secular community of sisters when another bishop tried to join her community to the cloistered Ursuline nuns. Along with her successor, Sister Barbier, they finally succeeded once and for all to have their community canonically constituted and then they took their simple vows as the Congregation de Notre-Dame in 1698. And at this time, the constitutions of the community were approved by the bishop. Now lovingly called Sœur de Saint-Sacrement, she finally enjoyed the last two years of her life in solitude and prayer, content in the knowledge that the foundations of her great work were secure and in good hands. In early 1700, a young sister in her congregation was very ill and near death. Our heroine performed one last act of extraordinary mercy and prayed that she herself would be taken in death and that the young sister would be spared and miraculously healed. God heard her prayer, and on January 12, 1700, this remarkable woman died and the young sister was healed. At the time of her death, there were 40 sisters to continue on with her great work, educating the poor, forming young women who would become skilled homemakers, sisters who nursed the aged in hospitals, sisters acting as social workers in communities that many did not want to end her. At its height in 1961, there were 6,644 sisters, reaching 100,000 pupils. Today, with 2,600 sisters working in Canada, the United States, Central America, Cameroon, Japan, and back in France, the legacy of Marguerite Bourgeois is still felt. Beloved all over Quebec, the day following her death, a priest wrote, If saints were canonized as in the past by the voice of the people and of the clergy, tomorrow we would be saying the Mass of Saint Marguerite of Canada. But alas, her cause for canonization wasn't open until 1878. The two miracles that led to her beatification by Pope Pius XII in 1950 were the miraculous healing of gangrenous feet of two men, one in Quebec and one in Vermont. 
Marguerite Bourgeois, the mother of the colony, officially became Saint Marguerite Bourgeois on October 31st, 1982. It is true, she wrote, that all I have ever desired most deeply and what I still most ardently wish is that the great precept of love of God above all things and of the neighbor as oneself be written on every heart. Saint Marguerite Bourgeois, pray for us. We hope you enjoyed hearing the tale of Saint Marguerite Bourgeois in this special presentation of her story. To get in touch with us here at the Modern Lady Podcast, please visit our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes of her story in the future. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.